The entropy of an isolated system never decreases. How many times have you heard that? Everyone at school at some point of his life learned this in his physics class. And in fact, it all starts from physics. That's the second law of thermodynamics, which is the only law of physics that requires a particular direction for time, also called the arrow of time. But what does this have to do with machine learning? Well, to find out, stay with us. This is Data Science at Home, the podcast that makes machine learning and artificial intelligence easy for everyone. Here's your host, Francesco Caraletta. Welcome back to Data Science at Home, the podcast about AI, machine learning, and algorithms. Despite being an abstract concept, everyone has an intuitive sense of the effects of entropy and the error of time. For example, imagine to watch the video depicting a glass that falls from a table and breaks into many pieces. Now, if you played this in reverse, it would show all the pieces that reassemble themselves back into a glass from the ground to the top of the table. Intuitively, we identify that only when played forwards, this video makes sense and matches our expectations. That is when the entropy of the scene is increasing. Now, imagine to fill a tank with two different types of gases, say gas A and gas B. Because of the second law of thermodynamics, both gases reach an equilibrium after which they are so mixed up that it is very difficult, if not impossible, to distinguish each molecule from each type of gas. On the contrary, in a low entropy tank, particles of gas A would be gathered in a specific area being perfectly distinguishable from the particles of gas B. It would be clear now that entropy is in fact a measure of the disorder of a physical system and it is related to the uncertainty associated with its physical state. A similar concept of uncertainty and lack of knowledge can be applied to machine learning. In fact, entropy can also be interpreted as a measure of the expected amount of information. Such a concept plays a key role in machine learning, where it is referred to as Shannon entropy. So what is Shannon entropy? Well, when estimating a model from the data, one has to assume a certain data generating process. The parameters of such a model will be calculated as the values that maximize the agreement between the model and the observed data. This goes under the name of maximum likelihood principle. By doing so, we are basically assuming that the quantities we are predicting are in fact random variables. Random variables are quantities whose value is uncertain because they can either have any values within a continuous range, in that case they are called continuous variables, or take specific values with certain probabilities, in which case we are calling them discrete variables. When an unlikely outcome of a random variable is observed, one would be somehow surprised about it, right? In technical jargon, we associate that observed value with high surprisal, also referred to as self-information. So the reason behind this is based on the fact that by observing such a value, one gains additional information about the behavior of a random variable or a phenomenon. So let me give you an example. Consider a heavily biased coin that always lands on heads. Obviously, the outcome of any coin toss is fully predictable. 
so one should never be surprised about the outcome. This in turn means that there is zero information from this experiment, and so the self-information of such a phenomenon is zero. In the case of unbiased coin, where the probability of head is, for example, 50%, the result of the coin toss is totally unpredictable. In such case, the self-information is at its maximum. Now, again, what does all this have to do with the concept of entropy? Well, Shannon entropy is defined as the expected value of the self-information i of a random variable. In case of a discrete random variable, this is just the weighted sum of the self-information associated to each possible outcome, where the weights are the corresponding probabilities of occurrence. And so we say that the entropy of a variable x is equal to the sum of the probability of x times the self-information of x. And this formula can basically be rewritten as the sum over x of the probability of x times the logarithm of the probability of x. For a continuous random variable, mathematicians know how to solve this because they just replace the sum by an integral, and so we would have that the entropy of a continuous variable x is equal to the negative integral over x of the probability of x times the logarithm of the probability of x. In this case, variables characterized by a broad distribution have larger entropy compared to variables within a smaller range. Now, from a pair of discrete random variables x and y, one can define other entropy measures, for example, the joint entropy, the conditional entropy, the relative entropy, and the cross entropy. The joint entropy is the entropy of two random variables occurring together. The conditional entropy is the entropy of a random variable conditional to the knowledge of another one. And the relative entropy, also known as kullback leibler divergence or information gain, measures the distance between two probability mass functions p and q, and it's usually defined as the sum of the probability of x times the logarithm of the fraction p of x q of x. So this means that if the two distributions are, for example, very close to each other, it means that their ratio p divided by q should be approximately 1, and the logarithm of 1 is 0, and so the kl divergence would be 0, or very small. And finally, there is the cross entropy. This is something that, if you are familiar with packages or libraries like TensorFlow and Scikit-Learn, and you have been doing backpropagation with the neural networks, you've probably found already this term somehow, uh, the cross entropy as a uh, minimization function. And in fact, the cross entropy is the expected self-information of a random variable characterized by discrete probability distribution Q, where the expectation is taken with respect to the probability mass function p of another random variable. All of this will be clear in a minute. As before, in case of continuous variables, the summations are replaced by the integral. An intriguing fact about entropy is that it has several applications in machine learning. If you are curious about that, here is why. Some important machine learning applications that see entropy playing a fundamental role are this. The first is Exploratory Data Analysis, or EDA. Now, statistician John Tuckey 
used to say exploratory data analysis can never be the whole story, but nothing else can serve as the foundation stone. His statement highlights the importance of organizing, plotting, summarizing a dataset before starting any modeling. This initial exploration allows one to gain intuition about interesting patterns and, of course, it guides the next modeling phase. For example, suppose that one is given a data set comprised of many input variables. Now, the first thing that one would like to understand is how such features were related to each other. So within an exploratory data analysis context, one would compute, for example, the Pearson correlation between each pair of variables and apply a relatively simple reasoning, which is variables with high positive or high negative correlation should be interpreted as being related to each other. Now, one drawback of the Pearson correlation is that it is a linear measure, that is, it measures the linear dependencies between any two variables. So what if a pair of features is not correlated at all? Does it mean that there isn't any relationship between them? Of course not. In order to assess the existence of a nonlinear dependence, well, one can rely upon the mutual information. And because mutual information measures the amount of information that one random variable contains about another one. In other words, it is the reduction in the uncertainty of one variable due to the knowledge of the other. Since it does not assume any property of the dependence between variables, such as linearity or continuity, it can detect the dependencies that would otherwise be invisible to the Pearson correlation. Technically, mutual information is defined as the relative entropy between the joint distribution x and y and the product distributions p of x times p of y. And so there is an equation that is very well known to statisticians and mathematicians that is the entropy of x minus the entropy of x given y, that's in fact the mutual information, is equal to the entropy of x plus the entropy of y minus the entropy of the joint x and y. If all this sounds too abstract, there is an important link in the show notes of this episode in which you can find a code snippet that in fact implements the mutual information matrix for a realistic dataset, for example, a cancer dataset, in which we in fact implemented the mutual information for all pairs, variables. Of course, we make use of a standard implementation of mutual information that is provided by Python library scikit-learn, but in fact, this is sufficient to understand what mutual information is, how to define it, and how to use it. So I really advise you to go to the show notes of this episode and click the link to the ametix.com webpage uh, where you can find in the blog, of course, the post associated to this episode, and from there, all the code you need. In many scenarios, calculating the dependency between variables via their mutual information is more beneficial than the simple correlation. The snippet that I already mentioned is a very interesting implementation of the mutual information from the scikit-learn library, and it has been applied to a public dataset for breast cancer detection. It is an example, of course, but you can apply that on more sophisticated scenarios and, of course, more realistic problems. The second context in which entropy plays a fundamental role in machine learning is definitely feature selection. Now, feature selection has a crucial role in determining the success of a classification or regression algorithm, etc. 
especially when the dataset under investigation is characterized by a very high number of variables. Some variables may be highly correlated, some others may just carry noise or very little signal, and making them participate into your model could be not uh, beneficial for your model because there might be confounding factors, there might be noise that you are taking into account and you know, you're bringing in the model, etc. And so if you have a very high number of dimensions, in fact, what you would like to do is reduce the dimensional space. Higher dimensional vectors, in, in addition to all these, look much more similar to each other as the dimensional space is increased. And this is a phenomenon that goes under the name of, you know, the curse of dimensionality. And it is very detrimental for pretty much any algorithm out there based on computing the distance between observations. Now, in this case, feature selection can be very, very helpful, as it allows to detect relevant features and discard the irrelevant ones. This usually leads to several advantages, for example, improving generalization of a learning algorithm, but also data understanding, because you can pay much more attention to a fewer number of variables other than thousands or millions, so data understanding is very important, and also reduction, of course, of memory and CPU requirements because whatever model you are implementing uh, will deal with a much fewer, uh, much, much less number of variables. Now, suppose one is given a binary classification problem and she would like to perform feature selection, right? So one viable way would be to compute the kullback leiber divergence between the distribution of the first class and the distribution of the other class. We said that this is a binary classification problem. It's a very simple one. But it's just to you know, give you an idea of what can be done with the KL divergence. So you have two classes. You just compute the divergence between the distribution of the first class and the distribution of the second class. Now, a high informative feature would be the ones for which the kullback leiber divergence is high. Such variables better distinguish the observations in the different classes. And so again, at the same link in the show notes of this episode, I also reported an interesting code snippet that calculates the kullback leiber divergence between two variables in a binary classification problem on the same data set. So please link and uh, check the code yourself and eventually you can, you know, tweak and tune and apply it to your everyday problems. In this case, however, the snippet implements the kullback leiber divergence between two variables from the same data set, but with the SciPy library. The third important context where entropy plays a fundamental role is definitely subset extraction. <laughs> That's another use case where entropy can play a role in for, for sampling, for example. Splitting the original data into training and testing is extremely important and can determine the accuracy and reliability of any machine learning model. As a matter of fact, the training set should be as a very good representation of the overall distribution of the original dataset. After all, this is the only data that will be used to train a machine learning model and that will generalize to new unseen observations, right? Now, an essential requirement is, of course, that training and unseen observations follow the same statistical distribution. Most of the time, random sampling works just fine, but there are cases in which a hidden bias in the original data might lead to inaccurate sampling. So one way to sample data in such difficult scenarios would be by considering the entropy. A sample with entropy that is similar to the one of the original data set is a good conservative strategy 
that will not surprise any machine learning model during training and during inference. In fact, the aforementioned sample would retain all the characteristics of the entire dataset. And now we move to modeling. So of course, entropy plays a fundamental role during model design too. And there is how. Some important concepts that can be encountered in all deep learning and machine learning libraries rely upon the concepts explained here in this episode. And I will tell you now, I will give you a list of the most common ones. So let's talk about decision tree learning. And then we will go to the cross-entropy loss and finally to comparing partitions or so-called clustering algorithms. So decision tree learning, well, a decision tree, we all know that is a classification or can also be a regression model based on a set of binary decisions involving the various features that are present in the data matrix. So it consists of a hierarchy of nodes where each node represents, for example, a question relative to a given feature. For example, is temperature less than 20 degrees Celsius? If yes, assign the current observation to class zero, otherwise assign it to class one. Under this framework, every node splits the set of observations in two subsets. So building a tree, in fact, consists in deciding which features to split on and assessing its splitting point. In this case, it was 20. Entropy can be used to perform the perfect split. At each stage of such a recursive partitioning, the splitting point that minimizes the combined entropy of the resulting subsets would do the trick. Then there is cross-entropy loss. Every supervised algorithm Learn, supervised learning algorithm is based on a specific optimization problem where one tries to find the parameters that minimize the error that the model is making, right? So in a binary classification task, like the task of distinguishing, for example, spam emails from non-spam emails or cancer, no cancer, the error of an hypothetical model could be computed by comparing the predicted probabilities of a sample to belong to any particular class to the true class label. So in the jargon, this strategy goes under the name of average cross entropy, which means that given n samples, the predicted probability for the ith sample as y hat and the observed probability as y, the cross entropy cost function would be the negative sum of y times the logarithm of y hat plus one minus y times the logarithm of one minus y hat, <laughs> which means that basically misclassifications are penalized in proportion to the higher probability. And finally, we have comparing partitions. The lack of labels that make a machine learning problem unsupervised forces a data scientist to discover some kind of hidden geometry of the data. And this is what clustering algorithms are for. Clustering algorithms are in fact one common solution to such a problem. And with clustering, a dataset is essentially split into subsets such that the elements of one subset are similar to the other elements of the same subset. And in contrast, elements from different subsets are supposed to be dissimilar. Now, some questions that you know a researcher or a data science practitioner would ask are how sensitive is a clustering algorithm to small perturbations? That is, will small changes in the data result in dramatic changes in the produced partitions? In addition to this, how similar are the solutions provided by two different algorithms? Or how accurate would the optimal solution be? 
Now, all these questions can be answered by measuring the similarity of different clustering results. And so, computing the mutual information between the generated partitions is the one very effective approach to use in this case. In fact, groupings with high mutual information will be more similar to each other. And so, once more, entropy seems to be a very effective strategy here. That's all for today. I hope you enjoyed the show. Talk to you next time. Ciao. This episode is supported by Amethyx Technologies, a data analytics company that uses AI and advanced machine learning to create products that transform the way organizations and people use their data. They support humans at their most important tasks and businesses by designing and building data analytics engines. If you are a creative data scientist and you want to make an impact in machine learning projects, don't be shy. Drop them a line at amethix.com career. It's A-M-E-T-H-I-X dot com slash careers. This was Data Science at Home, the podcast that makes machine learning and artificial intelligence easy for everyone. If you like the show, don't forget to write a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podbean. You can also find us on datascienceathome.com where you can subscribe to our newsletter and get the latest updates. Thanks for listening.